So, hey, good morning. Uh, Ray is out of town. He is uh, taking some much-deserved time off. He's fishing. Uh, I would show you some of his fishing pictures, but they all appear to be photoshopped because uh, the fish are extra normally huge. Uh, but I, uh, we, I'm not speaking this morning, so take a deep breath, okay? Um, but we have a guest speaker who is coming who is going to open up God's Word and continue in our series called Viral where we're looking at the book of Acts. And our guest speaker this morning has been a friend of mine for a a long time. His name is Dr. Harry Shields. He's a pastor. He's a professor from Moody Bible Institute and from the seminary. uh, And he's somebody that uh, during a very difficult season in my life I turned to, and he was a mentor and a friend to me uh, during my days at Moody. Uh, He was also my preaching professor, so you can thank him for all the beauty that comes out of my mouth. Uh, But he's also uh, been a pastor for a number of years. He's a husband, a father, and a proud grandfather. So will you help me welcome Dr. Harry Shields. Well, thank you for your very, very kind welcome. I'm sure that you've noticed that things are not always the way we think they should be. In fact, we make a lot of assumptions about life, a lot of assumptions about things. We think something is one thing and then time passes on the other side of reality. We discover that it's something else. Let me give you a couple of examples leading up to what we really want to talk about this morning. Uh, Carol and I, uh, we travel along Roosevelt Road uh, frequently. I'm sure you do the same thing, and especially if you're headed west on Roosevelt uh, towards Wheaton, uh, you may have noticed over the last several months there have been a number of buildings. They've been there for years, and those buildings have been torn down. The rubble's been carried away, and, and then the ground has been leveled. And when Carol and I would drive by, we would often say to ourselves, I wonder what's going to go in there. I wonder what they're going to build. And it seemed as though months went by and they weren't doing anything. And then wasn't very long until we noticed that there was a construction team there, foundation was laid, uh, buildings started to emerge out of the ground. And Carol and I had this little game we would play with one another, and we'd say, what do you think that building is going to be? And uh, we would say things like, uh, I'll bet it's going to be a furniture store. And then maybe another day we'd say, oh, listen, we, I know we have 15,000 restaurants in DuPage County. There, we probably need another one, so that's probably going to be a restaurant at Do you know, to our surprise, neither one of those guesses were were true. In fact, one of those buildings has already been opened, turned out to be a pet supply store. Uh, The other one looks like it's going to be an auto repair place. Uh, Much to our surprise, we assume something is one thing and it turns out to be something else. Let me give you another example. About four years ago, we uh, purchased uh, a, a new vehicle. And uh, there were things in the vehicle that uh, we saw, we kind of played with it a little bit, didn't really know what it was all about, didn't want to take time to read the owner's manual. And For example, in the back seat, we noticed there were some tabs, Velcro-sealed tabs. You could lift them up, and for so often I'd lift it up. I have no idea what that's all about. In fact, there, there was um, an item in the back. It had a cover on it, plastic cover. You could pull it down, and there was a little bar in the inside. I thought, oh, Probably when you go on vacation, you can hang your clothes in there. I had no idea what it was. Now, I know looking at us, uh, 
this will surprise you, but Carol and I are professional grandparents. In fact, uh, the sign of our professionalism is that uh, every so often we are invited to take care of our three-year-old granddaughter. And so to do that, um, our son and daughter-in-law said, listen, if you're going to transport Dylan to different places, you, you have to have a car seat. You have to be legal in the state of Illinois, probably every state as well. So they got us a car seat, one, one of the badges of being a professional grandparent. And, and so I, I took the, um, the uh, car seat out of the box because we knew that their second child was coming and we would have more responsibility with Dylan. And so I had to get that car seat into uh, to the back seat. And so I read the owner's manual once, uh, directions a second time, a third time, probably read it 10 times. And I still couldn't figure out how this car seat was to go into the back seat. In fact, do you know that by the time you assemble a car seat in, in the back of your car, that child could be grown and in their first year of college? <laughs> so I'm hurrying. I'm, I'm trying to get this in, and I'm figuring out things. And I realize, hey, some of those Velcro uh, places, uh, that's where you could snap in this buckle, and you could snap in another buckle. And that thing in the back of the car, I realized that it was primarily for a car seat, a child's car seat. And so I would take a strap and I would put it at the back of the car, street, car seat, stretch it all the way to the back of the car, hook it onto that little hook to make that car seat secure. There are things that we think this is one thing, we assume it's for one purpose, and it turns out to be something else. A lot of things like that in life. In fact, that is true whenever it comes to the power of God. Have you experienced the power of God recently? Has the power of God shown up in your life? If so, why is the power of God there? Now, there are some of us in this uh, assembly this morning who might say, well, the power of God, it's there to, to demonstrate how big God is. Yes, that would be true. And there would be others who would come along and say, the power of God is there to make my life easier, to make my life more comfortable, to roll some of my problems away. That's the assumption that we make about the power of God. But as we look at God's Word this morning, I, I want us to see that God has a very distinct purpose for His power and whenever His power shows up in our lives. To find out what that's all about, would you take your copy of Scripture or turn in your electronic devices to Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 3. As you find your way to Acts chapter 3, we're basically going to do two things this morning. And here's what we're going to do. The first thing, we're going to look at this story. It may be a familiar story to many of you, and as we come to the end of the story, we are going to discover a very important principle, what I like to refer to as a transforming truth. As we discover that transforming truth, the second thing we're going to do is we're going to see how that truth fits into our lives, how God wants to take it into life, uh, take that truth into life this week. So those are the two things we're going to do. Discover a principle from the story. The other side of the story, we're going to see how the story fits in our lives as well. So that's where we're headed. Now, if you found Acts chapter 3, I need to tell you that this story is kind of a continuing story. In fact, when you come back next week and Pastor Ray is back, he's going to take you into Acts chapter 4, Lord willing, and you're going to see how this story continues. But this week, we're going to look just at Acts uh, chapter 3, and you're going to see that it basically has two parts to it. 
uh, there is a part that we might call a miracle. A miracle takes place. In fact, the power of God shows up. The power of God as it shows up, that miracle as it takes place, it is followed by a message. And that message is very important for us to understand what the power of God is all about. Now, if you have been part of this series over the last several weeks, you may know that um, one of the things that has happened is that Jesus, speaking to His disciples following His resurrection, said to them, you are to go into all of the world. You're to make my disciples, and you will be my witnesses in all of these different places. In fact, he repeated something that he had promised in the Gospels. He said, I'm going to send my spirit, and my spirit is going to dwell within you. And sure enough, in Acts chapter 2, the promise that Jesus had made, it was fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. That means that in Acts chapter 2, up to this very day, One of the things that happens when a person comes to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the living God in the person of the Holy Spirit, the vicar, the representative of the Lord Jesus Christ, lives within every believer. So that means we are spirit-empowered witnesses wherever we go if we are Christ followers. So that's a little bit of the context, a little bit of the background. At the end of Acts chapter 2, you will also want to make note of the fact that one of the things that has been taking place is that more and more people are coming into the church as the message of Jesus goes out. And as they come into the church, the other thing that happens is that they are basically giving up their possessions. They are holding everything in common. That is not necessarily, by the way, something that we are to do today, but we see as they anticipate the Lord's return, they're basically saying these things aren't really important. So they hold everything in common And Luke tells us at the end of Acts chapter 2 that there were many signs and wonders that were performed among them. And so we have this general statement about signs and wonders that are being performed. And then we come to Acts 3 and we discover that there is one example of those signs and wonders that are taking place. Now, with that in mind, I'm going to read the first 10 verses, the first part of this twofold uh, story in Acts chapter 3. It is the miracle part. It will be followed by the message part. As I read, you're going to see the text on the screen, and would you follow along with what Luke is telling us? This is part of God's inspired word. He writes, One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand. He helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping, praising God. Then all the people saw him walking and praising God. They recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So they are eyewitnesses to the power of God. A miracle takes place in their very presence. 
And this man is made whole. But why is the power of God there? Why does it show up? What is its purpose? As we look at this text, uh, I want us to uh, make some observations, three specifically. And, and what we're going to do is we try to answer our major question, why is the, uh, the power of God there? What is its purpose in our life? Uh, we're we're going to make these observations so that we can find an answer to this question. Now, some of the things that you want to uh, make note about this text, uh, you can see it from reading it that Peter and John are their way up to the temple. A devout Jew in that day and time would pray at least three times, especially if they were in Jerusalem. And if they were in Jerusalem, uh, one of the things that they would do, they might go to the temple early in the morning. And then uh, about the ninth hour or three in the afternoon, they would go back again and they would pray, especially if they were at the temple in Jerusalem. And then uh, about the time of the evening sacrifice at night, they would pray again as the people of God, as God's chosen people. And so we have these things happening, and so here it is, the ninth hour, three in the afternoon, and Peter and John are, are, are going up. And here's this man who, who is begging. He has been placed uh, at, at a gate simply called the Gate Beautiful. Every single day, he, he's brought out, maybe a parent, maybe a, a brother, a sister, maybe a friend brings him there. He's placed at that gate, and other people are moving in. We don't know what he had in his possession, maybe a basket. And he extends the basket. Or the text says that he asked Peter and John for money. Now, notice the progression there. He asked them for money. They give him a miracle, and that miracle is followed by a message. Why in the world is the miracle there? Why do they need to hear uh, this message? What is this all about? Now, Now, here are these three specific observations that I want you to make. You can put them under these three words. The first word has to do with place. I want you to know or to notice the place where this event occurs. Uh, You'll you'll notice in verse 2 that uh, the man is placed there. Uh, It it seems like, well, it's at the gate beautiful. Uh, That's the place. It seems very obvious. But there's much more going on than simply identifying a specific gate. In fact, If you were to go back to Leviticus chapter 1, and you're going to see this text on the screen as well, you'll notice something that applies to this event in Acts chapter 3. Leviticus chapter 21, and I'll begin the reading in verse 17. Moses writes, Say to Aaron, for the generations to come, none of your descendants who has a defect may come near to offer the food uh, of his God. Then he goes on to say, no man who has any defect may come near. No man who is blind or lame, disfigured or deformed. I'm going to continue reading in verse 19. It says, no man with a crippled foot or hand is allowed to enter into the temple area. Now, why in the world was that? It's because God was trying to establish Uh, to the people of Israel that there were some things that were unclean. There were some people who were unclean. And so they could not enter into the areas that were holy or even into the most holy place. And this man typified that kind of individual. He was an unclean individual. So notice where this story is taking place. It's at a place of defilement, a place of uncleanness. Second observation. Not only do we have a place, I want you to notice a person. What person 
is the focus of this story. You, you read it, it might say, well, it, it, it's the crippled man. Or someone might say, it, it's Peter. He is this eloquent, bold preacher. He is the focal point of the story. But that's not what the text tells us. In fact, notice what we see happening. Uh, I call your attention to uh, verse 12. You'll see this on the screen as well. And Luke writes, when Peter saw this, and what he saw was all of these people rushing to see this man standing next to to, uh, Peter and John, and they realize who he is. They realize he's been made whole. And so they're saying, what in the world is going on? What is this all about? The power of God has shown up. What are we to make of the power of God? And so Peter answers, when Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? Verse 13, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. I'm going to stop there, and I want you to notice what Peter is doing. He's not focusing the attention attention on himself. He's not focusing attention on this man who's been healed. The attention goes to Jesus. Or would you move over to verse 16? Again, verse 16, you'll see it on the screen. And here's what Luke writes. My faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know, was made strong. It is Jesus' name. And the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can see. Second observation, who's the person? The person is Jesus. Peter is making much of Jesus. So we have a man who at this point, who was once defiled, who was once considered unclean. He meets up with the primary person of the story, and that person is Jesus. Now, there's a third observation that I want you to make from this text. And we're going to put it under the term or under the category of platform. I want you to see that Peter and John are building a platform. They're going to place something on that platform for everyone to see. Now, I notice, I want you to know that the word platform is not in the text, but that's exactly what Peter's doing. He is building a platform. Back to our text. Would you take a look at verse 13 again? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. Did you notice those words? He talks about what these people have done. They've killed him. They've disowned him. He says that twice. You've murdered this one who is the holy and righteous one of God. Look at verses 15 and 16 as well. You killed the author of life, but God raised him up from the dead. We are witnesses of this by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is in Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him as you can all see. And then drop down to verse 19. Peter says, the climax to his message, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. You don't see it, do you? 
the platform? The platform is there, and the platform is the power of God, and on the power of God, Peter is communicating this message, this very, very powerful message that all of us must hear and see. Now, I told you what we were going to do this morning is that we were going to look at the story, and looking at the story, we're going to answer a question, why in the world is the power of God there? What is the purpose of it? And then it's ultimately going to lead to a principle. And here's the principle you want to take with you into Monday morning and the rest of your life. Listen up. The power of God is a platform that displays the great grace of God the strength of God, the might of God, the surprises of God in our life when He shows up, serves to communicate the ultimate message of God's great grace in salvation. That's why the power of God is there. Okay, that's the principle. But that leads to a couple of other questions, and I said to you uh, as we started this sermon, one of the things that we need to do, we need to think about the fact of how does this principle fit into our lives? If it's true that the power of God is a platform upon which we begin to place the grace of God, then where will that fit into our lives? And it seems to me we need to answer two more questions. And the questions happen to be a where question and a why question, a where question and a why question. Here's the where question. Where in the world does the power of God show up today? And as soon as I answer, ask that question, some of you are saying in the privacy of your own minds, that's exactly what I like to know. Well, where is the power of God today? Is the power of God really right? Some of you would say, I, I'm not sure that I see the power of God. And some of you might even go so far as to say, you know, that's what we need to do as a church. We need to be seeking the power of God more and more and more. All of those things might be very, very good things. But I want to suggest to you that the power of God is available, and we need to understand what it's all about. Where do we see the power of God today? Let's start with the Scriptures. If you were to open the Scriptures, you would discover that the power of God appears in a lot of different places. Take, for example, the people of Israel. Here they are in bondage and in Egypt, and uh, God calls Moses. And he says to Moses, I want you to go back down to Egypt, and here's what I want you to do. When you go down, you go to Pharaoh, and you say to him, let my people go. (laughs) Moses is very reluctant, as you may recall, but he goes down, and he comes to Pharaoh, and he says, "Um, the Lord God of Israel says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, I'm not going to do it. And so Moses begins to invite the power of God into the very presence of of Egypt, and the power of God is displayed in signs and wonders, one after the other. And eventually, Pharaoh says, okay, I'll I'll let the people go because he's seen the power of God. You may remember after the people of Israel come out of Egypt, they come to the Red Sea. People of Egypt are are chasing them, or at least the soldiers are. The army is behind them. Moses raises up his staff, and the waters of the Red Sea are parted. It is a majestic display of the power of God. And the people of Israel are able to walk and dry ground to the other side. The army of of Egypt is ultimately swallowed up. We see display after display like that in the Scriptures. You come to the New Testament. You see the Lord Jesus Christ coming into villages and towns. There's a leper, and Jesus reaches out and touches the leper, 
and he's made whole. One occasion, there's a story where there is a funeral procession out of a town, and we are told that a woman has a, an, an only son, and that son has, has died. Her only source of protection in life for the years into her future. And now her son has died, and yet as the funeral procession passes, Jesus reaches out and he touches the body of that boy. And the boy is raised up. He's made alive. It's the power of God. We see the power of God throughout the Scriptures, but why is it there? I'm I'm saying to you it's there to display, to communicate the message of Jesus, the grace of God as it goes on display on top of this platform of God's grace. But is that the only place where we see the power of God? Have you noticed that the bricks and mortar of this building that you call your church, every week that the bricks and the mortar, they hold together. They don't crumble. Oh, I know you'll, you'll read in the newspaper or hear in the news of, uh, of sinkholes on, on, on highways and there are buildings that collapse and all that sort of thing. But, but many of the buildings in, in this area, they hold together. They stay exactly in the place where, where they were originally placed. And, and then have you noticed that uh, a lot of other things that hold together, the chairs stay together. You say, Harry, what's your point? Listen to this. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 17, the Apostle Paul, writing to the Colossian church, exalting the Lord Jesus Christ, says this, and he, that is Jesus, is before all things, and by him all things hold together. Every atom, every molecule holds together. Bricks and mortar holds together. Highways hold together. Everything holds together because of the power of the Lord Jesus Christ displayed before us every single day. Consider this display of God's power and greatness. There are people sitting next to you, in front of you, behind you, people who proclaim that they are Christ followers. That means that sometime in the past they were outside of the kingdom of God, outside of the church, and, and then they came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and uh, now they call themselves Christians. They call themselves followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's what the Apostle Paul says about those experiences in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And he says, and you, meaning the Ephesians, but meaning all of us, and you were dead in trespasses and sins. But now, in Christ Jesus, you have been made alive. In fact, Paul refers to it as the power of God, the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that means every time you look at a fellow believer, you are looking at a walking miracle because someone has been brought out of death into life because the power of Jesus has shown up in their life. Consider this. Jesus said, and we saw this in Acts chapter 2, that I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. He will not only be with you, but he will be in you. And it started in Acts chapter 2. It continues today every time a person comes to faith in the Lord Jesus that the Holy Spirit comes to live within that person. 
I'm sure you've had this experience in life where you, you, you know that you're supposed to do something. In fact, you know that this is what God wants you to do. You're supposed to obey, and you say in your mind, I'm not sure I can do that. I'm not sure I can obey him. I'm not sure that I can follow in this way. And you pray, and you ask God to give you strength, and you discover that you have the power to obey. That didn't come from you. It's the power of God working in and through you. Here's what I'm trying to tell you, folks, that every time you see the power of God, whether it's a miraculous event in the Scripture and some person's life round about you, whether, whether you see it in things holding together every single day so that you can carry out your jobs, your work, whether you see it in a fellow believer who's come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, whether you see it in the Holy Spirit living within you, here's what you must understand, that the power of God is a platform upon which God wants to display His great grace. That's where we see the power of God. It's all around us. There's a second question. If that's true, if the power of God is all around us, why in the world does God want to display His grace upon His great power? Why does He want to do that? One primary reason because we've got problems. We've got problems. I've got problems. You've got problems. Do you know what we do with our problems? Whether we're inside the faith or outside of the faith, well, one of the things that we tend to do, we, we, we tend to hide our problems or we hide ourselves from other people. We don't want individuals to know that we've got problems, but we've got problems. And that's why Jesus came into the world to deal with our most essential problems. For example, in this text, I, I, I see illustrated at least three essential problems. Here, here's the first one. There is the problem of spiritual abandonment. Go back to verse 2. Would you notice in verse 2 that one of the things that Luke tells us is that this man who was crippled from the time of his birth was taken to a place called beautiful or the gate called beautiful. Every day, the text says, every day that happened. Can you imagine how this man must have felt? Family member brings him to the gate. Friend brings him to the gate, drops him down. They go on into the place of prayer. And here he is, and he probably felt as though, I'm a nobody. <laughs> I'm marginalized in life. I'm not very significant at all. He has been abandoned, and yet... Here, Peter and John, they come along and they give him the message of the gospel after they display the great power of God, and his life is changed. He's no longer abandoned. He's no longer outside of the family of God. He was facing spiritual abandonment. We face spiritual abandonment in our lives, and God ends up gathering us in. There's the problem of spiritual abandonment. There's another problem as well. There's the problem of spiritual condemnation. Would you take a look again at that part of the text where Peter is saying in verse 14, you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. And he has these words of condemnation, and as these people gathered and as they listened, they must have thought, what in the world have we done? 
you ever said that about your own life? What in the world have I done? And you feel all of this weight of condemnation on your life. Peter said, you did this, you're condemned, but God raised him up. And that's good news. God raised him up so that the grace of God might be extended to you in spite of your spiritual condemnation. We've got a problem. Spiritual abandonment, and yet Jesus brings us in. Spiritual condemnation weighs upon us, and yet God raises up Jesus and extends to us grace and forgiveness. Now, right on the heels of those two things, there's also this problem of spiritual hopelessness. (laughs) Every day, the crippled man goes up to the temple. He must have felt tremendous hopelessness. I wouldn't be surprised. Don't know this for certain, but I wouldn't be surprised that he must have said on some occasions when he went to bed at, at night, why in the world should I go on living? Some of us say the same thing, don't we? What's the value of my life? But would you notice in verse 19, here's what Peter says. Now, you've heard this message. You've heard or you've seen this miracle. Now, Each one of you, repent. And then he adds on this phrase, so that times of refreshing might come to your soul. In verses 25 and 26, he refers to it as the blessing of God. The blessing of God has to do with the favor of God upon a person's life. And we all want the favor of God upon our lives. And when the favor of God comes, we move out of hopelessness so that we have great hope. Because God has come and touched us. He's shown up in His power, and He's displayed His great grace so that we have hope again. Some of you uh, may have heard of uh, a book that has been translated into a movie. It's called The Dropbox. It's a story about a pastor in South Korea. His name is Pastor Lee. just so happens that... uh, Pastor Lee realized that there were a a number of of infants who were being abandoned in the city, and so his reputation became known that he would take these children and take them into his own home, and he and and members of his church would would care for these abandoned children. And and Pastor Lee's story um, is one where he decided that as the word would get out, how how could he care for these children where the mothers wouldn't want them any longer because many of the children were handicapped, that they were too poor to care for these children, And so um, as part uh, of his home, his two-story home, uh, he builds into the wall a a drop box, kind of like a bank deposit box. And so these women could come with their children. They could open up the box and, and put the infant in and close it up. And every time the box would close, a bell would ring. And here's Pastor Lee. He would run from the second story down to the first floor, and he'd go to the drop box, and he would take these children out. And he and his church family would start to care for them. Now, I don't know for certain, but my guess is that those children are going to grow from infants to toddlers to small children to teenagers to adults. And somewhere along the line, some of them are going to say, Pastor, tell us our story. And he would say, okay, I'll tell you your your story. Your story is that you were abandoned. There, There were people who didn't want you. In many ways, you you were condemned by this culture and by people's interpretation of the value of your life. You had no hope in this world. But this church, 
in the power of God reaches out to you so that you might hear the great grace of God and you might come to find life in Jesus. It's a wonderful story, but it's your story and your story and your story and my story as well. Because you see, the power of God shows up. And God uses it as a platform, as a platform to display his tremendous, marvelous, wonderful grace. Here's the thing. In just a moment, I, I'm going to pray. And there are people in this congregation who have known about the grace of God for years. <laughs> you've known about Jesus. You've known about his saving message from the time you've been very, very small. And you came to faith in Jesus. Maybe it's been years ago. Maybe it's just been um, a couple of weeks ago. Maybe it's just been a couple of months ago. But whenever it happened, as I pray this morning, I want to encourage you to thank God that His power and His grace has shown up in your life. Thank Him. Thank Him. In fact, not only thank Him, I want to encourage you that as the Spirit of God lives within you, that you will take the message of the grace of God into this next week, into the rest of your life, and you will share this message with people in your family, in your neighborhood, in your jobs, wherever God might place you. And then, there might be somebody here this morning who is here because someone tugged you, (laughs) said, hey, why don't you go to church with us this morning? And you came, not sure why you were coming, not sure that you wanted to be here. And this morning, you hear about the power of God and the grace of God, something that you need desperately. And the Spirit of God is speaking to you. The Spirit of God might might be saying to you, like everyone here in this room, including the speaker, you are a sinner. You need a Savior. And the Spirit is inviting you to trust Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life. If the Spirit of God is speaking to you, will you say yes to Him? Will you trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Heavenly Father, For many of us in this room, we say thank you. Praise be to God, the author and father of our salvation. Thank you for caring for us. Thank you for displaying your power in so many different ways and then bringing us to faith in Jesus. And then, Father, if there is someone here who does not yet know Jesus, I pray this morning that this would be the day that they would put their faith and trust in Jesus and in him alone. And so all of these things we lift up to you in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. That's the message. God's power is everywhere you are. Your life, your transformation is an exemplification of that power. And that is something to be thankful for. Can you thank uh, Dr. Harry Shields for me? I also want you to know that I know the difference between a hurricane and a tornado. (laughs) But I come from Texas where all we have is hurricanes. So forgive me for that. I'm going to pray, and we'll be done. Father, I thank you for this day, for your love for us, for your unending power, the fact that you will never leave us, you will never forsake us, you will never 
abandon us. And Father, for those in this room who that is their very struggle, that they feel abandoned, I pray, God, that you would lift them out of that place and they would see the power of your redemptive nature. That they would leave this place feeling redeemed, embraced by you, loved by you. No matter our past, no matter our story, that love is true. And how grateful we are that you redeem our story. So now, God, as your church leaves the building, we ask that you would encourage us, that you would strengthen us, and you would enable us to face the rest of the days ahead knowing that your power is real. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.